What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, guys? This is Mike. Welcome to episode 19 of the Mike and Dave Podcast. We've got a couple things to talk about today. We're going to talk about the national championship for college football. We're going to talk about the NFL playoffs coming up. Obviously, we're going to have a hot seat later on and a fun fact. But before any of that, we're going to off the top. Hey guys, I'm Dave, and it's my turn this week to come up with the prompts for Mike. As a reminder, for off the top, uh, Mike has no idea what I'm bringing to the table, and it's going to be up to him to answer whatever I have um, right off the top of his head, and just kind of interesting to see what he comes up with. So we just finished the first ever week 18 of the NFL, and that meant that obviously there's another, there's an extra game in the season. So that meant that there were quite a few records that were um, potentially going to be broken because of that extra game. So what I'm going to have Mike do is I'm going to read out five records that were broken, tied slash broken uh, this season in the NFL. And you're going to rank them one through five in terms of which is the most impressive to you. I'm not going to time you, but I want it to be like, you know, fairly quick. So in no particular order, here's what we've got. We've got TJ Watt tying Michael Strahan's record for sacks in a single season with 22 and a half while only appearing in 15 games on the season. So it doesn't, this whole 17 game season doesn't count for that one. We have Justin Jefferson who broke the record for most receptions in a player's first two seasons and all and the most receiving yards in a player's first two seasons. We have Jalen Waddell breaking the rookie receptions record with 102 receptions. We have Tom Brady breaking the single season record for completions with 485 to go along with his career high 5,316 passing yards at his age. And then last but not least, potentially, we have Jamar Chase, who broke the Bengals franchise single season receiving yards record in his rookie year with 1,455 receiving yards. Okay. So to recap, we have TJ Watt, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Waddell, Tom Brady, and Jamar Chase. Yeah. Um, Number one, TJ Watt, because... His is the only one that wasn't where he didn't benefit from the extra games played. So there's no asterisk that you can put next to that. And like breaking Michael or tying Michael Strahan's sack record, that's crazy. Um, and forget not needing a 17th game, didn't need a 16th game for it. Um, so that's going to be my number one. Number two, see, at this point, it all becomes like, how much of it was the extra game played? Uh, where do they stand? Where do they stand if they had only played sixteen games? But with that, like as an asterisk to, asterisk to all of these, Tom Brady number two because he's doing it at forty four. Um, the numbers themselves aren't the crazy part of this to me. It's them being done with his being forty four years old. And still only in his second year in this system. Uh, so we're going to go Brady there. 
Number three, Jamar Chase. Uh, you know how much I love Ocho Cinco slash Chad Johnson. And then Jamar Chase just comes in as a rookie and just explodes. Uh, that's number that's number three. Number four is Justin Jefferson. Uh, dude is on pace for an amazing career. And like most receiving yards for his first two seasons of any receiver ever. And to be clear, he broke that before week 18. But he but he broke the reception like the uh most receptions in his first two years uh in week eighteen. So So I'm gonna make that one like yeah, that's definitely number four. Um Do you know when Jamar Chase broke did he break that record in eight in week eighteen? Yeah, I th- I'm I'm pretty sure he did because he came in and he um he caught a couple of passes for like 27 yards or something, and then he was done for the game. I think he just came in to break the record and <laughs> sat down. Uh, uh, well, since he was so close anyway, I'll, I'll keep him at number three and then do Justin Jefferson at number four, but he's on pace for an amazing career. Um, it's crazy to think, like, on that note, you know, the Vikings gave up Stefan Diggs, and then they brought in Justin Jefferson. And, like, at the time, I was just like, you are giving up Stefan Diggs for real? But Justin Jefferson is immediately a number one option. Uh, and he's doing that, like, no real disrespect, but that's with Kirk Cousins <laughs> and Mike Zimmer, so who's now fired. Uh, I was going to ask you about that since you like the Vikings more than me. In my mind, it's good riddance. But anyway, that leaves number five for Jalen Waddle, and I saved him for last. Uh, you brought it. You brought in Jalen Waddle from Bama to pair with Tua from Bama on the Dolphins, and at the in our like preseason episodes of this podcast, we were just like, "Oh, I wonder who Tua is going to throw it to. Could he maybe be like force feeding Jalen Waddle all season?" Like, if you had read these records to me before the season, like if you told me all of this was going to happen, the Jalen Waddle one is by far the most believable. So that's why I'm putting it number five. I'm not really that surprised. Okay. I like that list. I think the Justin Jefferson disrespect is there. Uh, <laughs> just cause it's not, there's not just his first season, but he backed it up with the just as good second season. He didn't have that sophomore slump, but I agree with you. Waddle being fifth. A lot of those passes were, just very short completions. It's like they had Tua just out here throwing seven to 15 yard passes and never really trying to bomb it down the field. Um, But, and I also agree TJ Watt, what a beast. I mean, the, the, the fact that JJ Watt is your older brother sets all, you know, all, all kinds of records wins defensive player of the year, multiple times. And you come in and you have to live up to that. And it'll be interesting to see what uh, he can do next year, um, if he can keep this pace going. It is going to be a controversial thing with the asterisks, with the extra game. But, you know, you still have to credit the players. All they can do is just play in the games that they're told to play in. So, you know, props to the guys who got it done in 16 games and the guys who got it done in 17 games. Absolutely. And what you're saying about TJ Watt is spot on, like, 
it's not like people expect him to come on, come into the NFL and just be like terrible or anything, or like a bust or anything. But when your older brother is one of the best defenders of all time, like the relative expectations for you are pretty low. No pun intended on relative. Uh, I like that. But then you just come in and you're a monster. <laughs> like, and in a Steelers uniform at that, like there's not just, not only is your brother so good with such a good reputation, but you're coming after so many legends. And you're stepping up to the plate on both fronts. And yeah, just so much respect for that all around. Yeah. And, and he, you know, he's signed that new contract this year as well. And then even after he signed the contract, he goes out and ties the record. I mean, at that point, it's like, no matter how much money you gave him, it was probably worth it. I mean, I feel you can definitively say without TJ Watt, the Steelers don't somehow make it into the playoffs, which we are definitely going to talk about how the Steelers made it into the playoffs later on in the episode, because I cannot wait to talk about that because of that Chargers Raiders game. That was just absolutely insane. So definitely stay tuned for that. But that's going to wrap up off the top. When we come back, we're going to break down the national championship. The national championship game was just played between Georgia and Alabama. And congrats to Georgia uh, and Coach Kirby Smart for getting the job done. First championship since 1980 or 1981 is when it was played. I'd, I really enjoyed watching the game just from a pure, um, mostly unbiased perspective. It's not every day that one of Nick Saban's former assistants gets the better of him. But there were like two days that it happened this year. Like that's supposed to not happen. But first Jimbo, like Jimbo did it. And I guess all hell broke loose. And and now Kirby Smart is like, oh, it's possible. I want to do it too. Um, Yeah, congrats, Georgia. Um. This is coming from my bitterness. Eventually, I hope, one of like my main four teams, Hawks, Falcons, and then the two Michigan like football and basketball, one of those teams eventually has to win, right? And so eventually I'll get to be that annoying. But I'm already annoyed at these Georgia fans. <laughs> like, live it up. I know that, like, Y'all got to be feeling it, like winning the championship. And like I said, when my team does it, if and when my team does it, I'll be annoying as hell. But man, this is why I wanted Alabama to win, man. Uh. I definitely understand that. I think because the Braves won this year, which just is still just really fantastic to say. Um, I get it. I get why they're so happy because I felt that not that long ago. I did want the people that I love and people who I care about, friends, family, etc., to have that same feeling that I had with the Braves. It's easy to be annoyed because we live in Georgia and just by nature we're surrounded by UGA fans. Um my one request is just just don't start barking at me. <laughs> yeah. Do not say the the following phrases. You can go first. It's Saturday in Athens. It's great to be between the hedges. 
Yep. Time to tee it up between the hedges. Glory, glory to old Georgia. Go dog, sick'em. If you post any of those on social media, I just, it it frustrates me very, very much. I will say that. So, so that's an extra tier for y'all. But the people that are catching my ire, if you have uttered the phrase, the following phrase, more than twice in your life, you are who annoy me. The phrase is, this is our year. Shut the hell up. You're like the cowboy fans of college football. And you are the reason I hate Georgia. To be fair, to me, that was 88% of my high school. I Don't quote me on that number. Like, I didn't take a poll. But, you know, it's like, I was like, this man is over- out here conducting research. I had, like, my clipboard outside the biology class. No, like informal but the overwhelming majority of my high school that's what it was and that's why i i root against georgia so like passionately because according to them it's always their year so i never want it to be their year at least like for michigan i'm usually the opposite usually i'm like hey this is not our year and then guess what i'm always right it's true this year, the Georgia fans were right. To be fair, Georgia 100% deserved this national championship. Um, the only team that they lost to, they came back and beat in the national championship game. And they were consistently dominant throughout the course of the entire season. With a former walk-on at quarterback. You know, it was it was very impressive. Uh, both their effort throughout the season and in the game. I thought that they made the necessary adjustments uh, to slow down that offense. Of course, Jamison Williams getting injured, and of course, Mechie being injured before that, played a big part. There were several passes that I think Jamison Williams would have caught that the other Alabama receivers did not. However, I'm sure all those guys were four or five-star recruits, so there's really no excuse. But still, when it comes down to it, Georgia executed, especially in that fourth quarter when it mattered most. And that pick six was absolutely crazy. (laughs) The fact that Kirby Smart's just running down the sideline, telling him to get down. And this dude's like, nah, I'm taking this back to the house for six. This is my moment (laughs) as a freshman as well. Yeah, that was, that was pretty uh, insane to watch. And, you know, just the kind of defensive battle back and forth in the first half. Um, and Bryce Young, you know, struggling a little bit. And Stetson Bennett outplayed him in the game. And who would have thought that he would have outplayed the Heisman Trophy winner? So, you know, really, really in- fun, interesting game to watch. And, you know, it was very close all the way down until they got that pick six. And that was with like a minute left in the game. So, um, like I said, props to Georgia for pulling off the victory. And, you know, Alabama... It's still credit to them that they make it almost every year, it seems. But I've got to be honest, it is kind of nice to have a different team on top. Um, just because, you know, I like it. I like it to keep it fresh. I, I know we've talked about this before in the podcast, but I just like there to be different teams in, involved. And I don't like there it being so top heavy 
and Georgia, even though they they are, of course, a big school and a big time football program, they hadn't been able to get over the hump. And, you know, maybe they have the Braves to thank. I think when the Braves won that sort of like opened the dam, I guess, uh, for for sports in Georgia, like, hey, you know, we talked about breaking the narrative uh, when the when the Braves won the World Series. And I think like the Bulldogs seem to take that. Um, take that personally, like in a good way and go, Oh, well then why can't we as well? And maybe that will set the, set a precedent for the Hawks. Uh, it certainly won't do it for the Falcons anytime soon, but, but maybe just maybe there's hope for other Georgia teams, not this year. Like I doubt that's happening this year, but like in the next couple of years, who knows, maybe other, like maybe the Hawks can win as well. Um, maybe the Braves go back to back, baby. Hey, why not? Why not? They are those, you know what? Uh, quote my man, Jock. Uh, but I will say, like you said, Georgia deserved it. Yeah, and we shouted this out on the last episode. But just one of the all-time great defenses. Um, it because of that, I feel like this Georgia team doesn't just feel like the next championship you know like some years you just have like well someone had to win it right and and all sports are like this some some years you have well someone had to win that championship who who was it going to be on that year um but other years you just get the feel like oh this is like a historic win and or like a a team that will be historically remembered and i think this georgia team has the capacity to do that because of or to be that because of how elite this defense was so respect to them for that, and and I did say before the semifinal that Georgia was the team I didn't want to face, and it was for that for that reason exactly. I didn't want to deal with that defense. They showed Michigan why, and they showed Alabama why. All right, that's going to wrap up our reaction to the national championship game. Once again, congrats to, to Georgia. I'm sure Alabama will come at it again next year and probably be the favorites to win. Um, <laughs> so... They'll just keep on trucking. But for Georgia, you know, this was a long time coming and congrats to them. And when we come back, we're going to shift to the NFL and look at some of the playoff matchups for this upcoming weekend. All right. So after the Steelers won their game, they were they were sitting in a good spot because they had like a 99 percent chance to win the playoffs or I'm sorry, to make the playoffs, because all that had to happen was. The Chargers and the Raiders needed to not tie. If they tied, then both of them would have made the playoffs. So, realistically, the Chargers and Raiders could have shaken hands at the beginning of the game and gone, you know what? Let's both agree. We're, all we're going to do is put our backup quarterbacks in, and they're just going to kneel three times in a row and then punt. And that's going to be this entire game. Which, imagine being a fan at that game. Though it would have been funny if, like, if that's what all they were going to do for the whole game. The Raiders are like, you know what? <clears throat> we're going to rest Derek Carr. We don't want him to kneel down that many times. We're going to hire Tim Tebow. We're going to sign him. And we're going to have him do the kneel downs for all of our possessions. To atone for all of the many sins of John Gruden and... Henry Ruggs. That's just an unfortunate situation. But and just the entire Raiders 
everything that's gone wrong with the Raiders this year. Just bring in Tim, Tim Tebow. He can Tebow while he's kneeling the ball every time. And maybe that'll give him some good karma for the playoffs. I don't know. If there's one thing that Tim Tebow is known for, it's taking a knee. <laughs> Which is <laughs> the same as Colin Kaepernick. It's the but same But they're both thing. known for doing the same thing. <laughs> anyway, th- that is not even relevant to what we're talking about. So the Raiders and the so so the Raiders and the Chargers start playing this game. And spoiler and, alert, they did not do all this kneeling nonsense. Tebow did not make it yeah. either, don't worry. No, that that would have literally broken the internet <laughs> if they had done that. The sports internet, at least. So they go back and forth. It's a pretty interesting game all around. Austin Eckler scores a couple touchdowns. Um, but the Raiders end up <clears throat> pulling away. And the Chargers are down by a couple of scores late in the fourth quarter. So Justin Herbert. Oh, and before I say that, the Chargers decided to go for it on fourth down. As they always do so many times throughout the course of this game. And they kept throwing away points. They kept not converting on fourth and goal, whatever. And it put them in a really bad position because the Raiders ended up capitalizing on the momentum shifts there. So it comes down to the fourth quarter. Justin Herbert has to complete like, I swear it was like nine or 10 fourth downs, both in the fourth quarter and overtime to get the the game tied up. So the Chargers do like this crazy comeback. End up completing like a fourth and 26 or something like that at the end, at the end of the fourth quarter to tie it up. And it goes to overtime. They both kick field goals and the Raiders get the ball back with like a minute something left. They're just running the ball basically. And everybody's just wondering like so are they going to just play it safe and go for the tie? But no, they end up, Josh Jacobs ends up going in beast mode for a second um, and gets them enough yards to have Daniel Carlson in position to kick a 47-yard field goal with like three seconds left on the clock or something. And at this point, Steelers fans watching this game have got to have been sweating <laughs> and like, not being able to to believe what they're seeing because of course the the chances of a tie in an NFL game there's like barely one a season out of all the games that are played here we are if Daniel Carlson misses this field goal then the Steelers are out of the playoffs because the char- the Chargers and the and the Raiders did actually tie but at, at that point the Raiders are like we're going to win either way as long as we they don't block this field goal or return it for a touchdown <laughs> The Chargers have got to be like, dude, just like, don't even bother kicking the field goal. <laughs> like, just kneel down and we'll both make it. <laughs> but no, Daniel Carlson nails it, meaning that the Chargers don't make the playoffs after converting all of those fourth fourth and longs in the fourth quarter in overtime. Justin Herbert doing everything possible that he he could do to try to drag them across, but it just wasn't enough. It was honestly one of the most insane games. Probably had, had to be the craziest game of the year. And one of the craziest NFL games that I've ever seen. Um, 
absolutely crazy. And hey, maybe this whole 17 game season is a good thing because it gave us that game. It was definitely worth it for me. It was an, it was an absolutely crazy game. Like by all means, go back and watch the full highlights of it. The, the fourth and long touchdown uh, from Herbert to, I think it was to Josh Palmer uh, in the fourth was absurd. Um, Also, we could talk about the timeout uh, that Brandon Staley called. Um, eh, I don't know. Like, Derek Carr claims that it changed their mentality, and that's sort of like why they decided like kick the field goal or like not rest on it or whatever. But you know, Brandon Staley said, "Oh, they were going to run the ball. We wanted to make sure we were set up to run the or to defend the run." And then the Raiders did run the ball successfully, anyway. But when we did our uh, preseason tier list and we got to the Chargers, I mentioned like. Are they cursed? Um, it just seems like these random things keep holding them back, whether it's like weird coaching decisions or an inability to finish games. And now here we are at the season's conclusion with a timeout that apparently changed things and them missing the and they're missing the playoffs because of it. So I will say that Derek Carr immediately after he said that about it changing their mentality, he was like, our goal was was not to tie the game our goal was to win the game like the entire time anyway but it did kind of like i think it did just kind of give them that mentality of like oh well you know let's make sure that we get you know enough yards to where we can kick like a a field goal that's a little more realistic than like this 57 yard that they were at type of a thing so still it's got to be tough for the chargers to just be like they to be honest, if they had just not, they've just taken the the field goal earlier in the game multiple times when they had like, you know, fourth, fourth down in the red zone and they went for it and they didn't get it, then they wouldn't have been that position in the first place. So sometimes they just can't get out of their own way. But, you know, Raiders end up winning and, and clutching it out. And now the Raiders are going to make the playoffs, which to their credit, not a lot of people would have thought that earlier in the season when all that drama was happening. And of course they had a really good start to the season, but then, like I said, a lot of off the field issues and they kind of got in a slump, but they won the last four games of their season to make the playoffs and under their interim coach, who knows, maybe the rate, like maybe the Raiders are like the underdog story. And, can surprise some people and they're, I mean, they're facing the Bengals in the, in the first round. That's a, I mean, that's a winnable game. The Bengals, sure. They've had a pretty good season as well. That Joe, Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase connection. So the signing of Trey Hendrickson ended up being a really great move for them uh, on the defensive side as well. But the Raiders could win that game. And also another, kind of storyline to this. This is Derek Carr's first playoff game. So can he quiet any of the, the haters and the, or the doubters? And can he end up leading the Raiders to their, you know, to a playoff victory? Yeah. This Raiders team has really rallied since all the nonsense. Um, just the word I'm using to describe all of that. Um, Hunter Renfro has had an unreal season. Um, 
Derek Carr is the type of quarterback that, like, you know, he has his off games. He also has on the games where he's like really on. He's like a really good quarterback. So, like, there's no reason. First of all, this game is very winnable. Um, but that doesn't mean it won't be a good game. I do expect this game to be good. Um, I don't really see a heavy favorite in this game. Uh, I think this game could definitely go either way. Um, if I had to pick, I'd probably pick the Raiders. They just seem a little more consistent between Renfro, Carr, and Josh Jacobs. But it'll be a fun one. Yeah. <clears throat> I would go with the Bengals. The Bengals did win their uh, previous matchup earlier this season, 32-13. to 13. But it was a close game until the Bengals scored 19 unanswered to win it. <laughs> um I just think Burrow's kind of got that X factor, you know? Uh, and like I said, the Bengals defense has been improved this year. After many years of ineptitude, it, it seems like the Bengals are back in the the playoffs. And I guess you could say the same thing about the Raiders too. But um, yeah, I would go with the Bengals on that one. But I do think it is close. Moving on to uh, the Steelers matchup. Since we're talking about them before. They have the unfortunate task of facing the Kansas City Chiefs, who, after kind of a early season swoon, came like roared back. <clears throat> Weirdly, on the backs of their defense for the most part, and now are looking just like the you know the dangerous contender that we thought that they were going to be coming into the season. They just look a little bit different with an improved defense and an offense that has had to change a little bit because of the the two deep looks that defensive coordinators are throwing at Mahomes, forcing them to just take underneath passes and check the ball down. Uh, they still sometimes get some big plays like we're used, you know, that we're accustomed to seeing, but the Chiefs are adapting and Mahomes is still Mahomes and um, he's got some help, you know, I think a little bit more help this year, both on the offensive line and at the skill positions. So it's going to be a tough one for the Steelers to pull out in Big Ben's uh, final season. I respect that the Chiefs addressed their offensive line, which was definitely what they needed to do after last year's Super Bowl. They do look more complete at this point, um, even though they are having to, like you said, adapt, uh, find a different way to run that offense. But what the best teams are able to do is adapt uh, when when teams throw different looks at them, they have to be able to move forward from that. I'm rooting for the Steelers uh, because I, you know, I have so much respect for Mike Tomlin. Uh, I think it would be cool if Big Ben, you know, it's in all likelihood his last season, uh, and you know, it would be cool to see him not walk out on a first round exit. But this Chief, this Chiefs team, I mean, I wouldn't put my money against this Chiefs team. Uh I mean Najee Harris has had a great year. Freaking ton of catches at that running back position. Uh Steelers have some weapons, but this this seems like a Chiefs win. Yeah, it's it's gotta be in you know Kelsey and Tyreek Hill both suffered injuries in week eighteen. I don't know exactly how serious those are. But I think even without them, the Chiefs have enough. The Chiefs' defense was uh, 
torch in the last couple games of the regular season, but they'll show up ready to play, I think, and the Steelers' offense isn't really scaring anybody at this point. So I'm thinking the Chiefs win in that one as well. Moving on to the last matchup in the AFC, the Bills and the Patriots. You got an AFC East showdown, and the Bills, they ended up at 11-6 on the season. I think the expectations were really, really high for them coming in, and maybe they've underachieved a little bit, but they've still got a really solid team, um, great defense, good coaching, and a quarterback in Josh Allen who can get the job done on the ground, even if he's not having the best game in the air. And Devlin Singletary has really come on in the last few weeks and looks like that running back, one that they really needed him to be. And Stephon Diggs has also had a strong end to the season as well. So the Bills are going to be a handful, but of course the Patriots are probably going to be ready for him. I mean, it's Belichick. We already know all about him. We know that Mac Jones has had a pretty good rookie season, but he's kind of fallen off in you know these last few games. And the Patriots have kind of stumbled their way into the playoffs. I don't, it's hard to pick against Belichick. Maybe this is the Bills' time. Um, but it's just, it's hard to, to count against the Patriots. I think in a lot of ways, it's a, it's kind of easy to look at Josh Allen this year and kind of write it off because he's not, he hasn't been as impressive as he was last year. Pretty much all of his numbers are down from last year, completion percentage, yards, touchdowns. He has more interceptions, but even though this year is worse for him than last year, it's not like he's suddenly a bad quarterback. He, and he, one thing that I respect about him is he definitely seems to have that it factor. Uh, s- not to the same extent that I would have said this about like Deshaun Watson, but something about him that makes me believe that he can win the game, uh, that he can like overcome adversity uh, in any given game. Like He still has that. Um, Stefan Diggs is great. Dawson Knox has had a good year. Uh, as for the Patriots, yeah, Mac Jones has slowed down, but he is definitely had the best rookie season of the big five quarterbacks. So the last rookie quarterback to win a playoff game, Russell Wilson in 2012. Oh, damn. So 10 years ago. It's not something that happens very often. Of course... The Patriots haven't had a rookie quarterback and playing for starting for them in a playoff game in quite some time either. So, you know, for me, it's the Patriots. Can they establish the run versus the, you know, the bills defense? Because if it turns into one of the, you know, a shootout type of game, we already know the bills are going to, are going to win that. I will say one thing that Mac Jones has, I mean, Obviously, college is different from NFL. But one thing that Mac Jones has that a lot of quarterbacks don't have coming into the NFL is experience winning like big games. Uh, Mac Jones won a national championship at Alabama. Like that, he's like he came into the NFL coming off winning on the biggest stage in college, and now he goes into like he goes from Saban to Belichick. He's still in a good system. He still ha- like he's shown that he can win big games. He has that like gene in him um i i'm gonna pick the patriots in this game um i think between what i just said about mac jones and it being bill belichick i i don't dislike anything about the bills really but 
I would put my money on the Patriots for this one. I think the Bills want revenge after the Patriots just did that. We're running the ball the entire game <laughs> against them, and and it worked last time. You know, I think the Bills are really going to be fired up for this, both because, of course, it's the playoffs, but they're the, it's the Patriots, their division rival, and there's I'm certain there's bad blood because of that strategy that the Patriots took and the fact that they ended up winning because of it. Um, I am going to take the Bills, but. It's. I think on honestly, it's maybe it's just a little bit more just because of the fact that you picked the Patriots. <laughs> um, I think this one really could go either way, but like you said, Josh Allen, I think he does have that have that it factor, and you know, maybe the Bills can can pull it out. So the only other team in the AFC is of course the Tennessee Titans, who secured that number one seed, and therefore also have that first round bye as well. The fact that the Titans managed this without Derrick Henry for the majority of the season is quite frankly astonishing. Also missing Julio Jones and AJ Brown uh, for significant amounts of the season as well due to injury. Ryan Tannehill's play declined. They signed Dante Foreman off the street. And this Dontrell Hilliard guy, I think he was probably not with them at the beginning of the season too. They've formed this running back partnership that are pretty successful, but the defense is what steps up, you know, and really good coaching. I am, I am shocked that the Titans are in this position, but maybe they get King Henry back and that could make the difference for them. Um, of course they have that first round bye, so they'll either be facing the Bengals, Raiders, Patriots, or Steelers in the next round. And I think they, you know, if they have Derrick Henry back, I think they could probably beat any of those teams. I was I was about to say, Mike Vrabel's coaching his ass off this year. Like, shout out to that man. Um, yeah. If Derrick Henry comes back and joins this team that's been playing so well in his absence, when we already like know going into any given season, like, that he is the, the engine of that team. Like Titans become really scary. So I agree. The Titans can definitely beat any of those teams. I think back to 2020 when the Chiefs ended up beating the Titans in a game that I thought the Titans like had a good chance to win. And they, you know, for a little bit in that game, it looked like they could too. Uh, I'd be worried about the Chiefs just doing the same thing to the Titans again this year. So like, I hope for their sake, it doesn't end up being, um, like that they don't have to match up with the Chiefs again this season. Um, all the other teams, I think they match up really, really well, though. For sure. So moving on to the NFC, uh, while we're talking about number one seeds, let's talk about the Green Bay Packers. They've had the best record in the NFL this season, which kind of same old thing. You know, before the season started, we were like, is Aaron Rodgers even going to play? You know, Devontae Adams is disgruntled. Nope. Aaron Rodgers plays through a broken toe, has another MVP caliber season. Devontae Adams continues to ball out every, you know, like he does every year with Aaron Rodgers. A.J. Dillon comes on and forms a devastating duo at running back with Aaron Jones. In that defense, despite losing Zadarius Smith and Jair Alexander, has continued to 
uh, to shut down teams and play well enough for the Packers who are going to put up points. The Packers looked pretty tough to beat, in my opinion. Um, the That first round bye is going to give Rodgers a little more time for that toe to heal. And going into it, I think they have to be one of, if not the favorite, to make it to the Super Bowl out of any team, either in the AFC or the NFC. I have a sneaking suspicion that we'll see a Packers-Bucks game and the winner of that game will end up going to it and potentially even winning the Super Bowl this year. That's my uh, my initial impression uh, looking at the playoff bracket, that when that game eventually happens, it will determine the Super Bowl winner. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take it that far. The winner of the Packers-Bucks game, or there will be a Packers-Bucks game, the winner of which will win the Super Bowl. Okay, so we're going to see the Packers and the Buccaneers play each other in an NFC Championship game. I, f- I feel like that's a reasonable prediction. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and not to discredit the Buccaneers, I said the Packers had the best record. They do, but the Buccaneers are tied with them also at 13-4. and four. The Packers just beat them out for that number one seed. Um, speaking of the Buccaneers, they get the privilege of facing the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs in the, in round one. I don't think it's going to be a surprise for me to tell you that the Buccaneers will win this game. The Eagles really don't have much of a chance whatsoever. Um, Might I remind you, this is Tom Brady. Regardless of the whole Antonio Brown nonsense or the Chris Godwin injury, you still got Brady. You've got Gronk, who apparently will just go off for 100 yards if he wants to, if it means that he's going to get his <laughs> bonuses, I guess. Um, but playoff Gronk is a beast. We all know that. <clears throat> Mike Evans, one of the most consistent receivers in the NFL. He's going to be ready to play as well. And, you know, that defense um, still loaded with playmakers. Vita Vea just got that big new contract. And, you know, they, they have... Some issues in the secondary, but a lot of those have been shored up um, in the last few weeks. And they still look like a team, you know, one of the teams to beat, like you said, Mike. Um, I could definitely see it being the Buccaneers and the Packers battling it out to uh, represent the NFC in that Super Bowl. But there are a lot of other teams in the in the NFC that might well have something to say about it. and. Overall, I think the NFC probably is stronger. I agree with you. And just real quick, credit to the Eagles because they definitely had a better season than I than I think we anticipated when we uh, like earlier on in the season. Uh, we definitely had them really low on our early tier list, uh, and they made their way to the playoffs. Two NFC least teams in the playoffs. What is this? Uh, I I'm a fan of Jalen Hurts. Um, I think he also has a magical quality to him, but that would it would be a hell of a thing to add to his resume if he were to if he were able to lead his team past the Bucks. I, I mean, if you're if you're tasking a quarterback with it, there are worse quarterbacks to assign that to. But yeah, good luck. Uh, Bucks should win that. Like you said, NFC probably stronger. I'm looking at that Rams Cardinals game, like. 
those are two like heavy hitting teams and it's kind of sucks that we have to eliminate one of them week one of the playoffs i would i think a lot of people would have preferred to see these teams match up later on in the playoffs uh but obviously we have the rams uh stafford in his first season there has formed an amazing chemistry with cooper cup uh who has just gone ballistic this season um also, you know, we we know about the Rams defense headlined by Aaron Donald. Um, boy genius Sean McFay coaching. I think that's lost its, some of its luster. But, hey, he's still a coach that guys really want to play for. I think this Rams team really has, like, a lot of emotional momentum build, built up that they're going to be carrying into the playoffs against this Cardinals team that's like, I mean, shoot, they want it too. but. I don't know. Who do you trust more in the playoffs? Uh, Matt Stafford, who's never seen playoff action, versus Kyler Murray, who has never seen playoff action. Yeah, I mean, the Rams probably ended the season a little bit stronger than the Cardinals did, or at least in the last few weeks. Of course, the Rams, with Cooper Cup having that amazing season, that connection with Matt Stafford. But, you know, the Rams just lost to the 49ers. Uh, and the Rams were really trying to win that game too. Uh, Cardinals, they're missing a couple of key players, uh, including DeAndre Hopkins, of course. It's going to be a battle. Um, I would take the Rams out coming out of this. They are going to have that, that uh, thing that we see every year. When will a team finally win, play in and win? a Super Bowl in their home stadium. You know, the Rams really have got to be itching to do that, especially because their stadium is so new. But yeah, I, I would take the Rams in that one. But yeah, you've got big stars on both sides of that that matchup. And, and I'd also take the Rams just for record. Yeah. So then we've got one of the more interesting matchups, I think, to wrap up the NFC, the Cowboys and the 49ers. Uh, this is probably, these teams probably have two of the bigger fan bases out of all the teams in the NFL. Traditionally, um, but recently, of course, Cowboys had a pretty off year last year. They bring in Dan Quinn, who completely changes their defense. Um, Dak is healthy and playing a little bit better. And, of course, the Cowboys have all those weapons on offense. Amari Cooper isn't even like a number one receiver anymore. He's like their number two option, sometimes number three. Dalton Schultz comes out of kind of nowhere to be a, you know, a reliable target for them in the middle. Cedric Wilson has randomly come up and been clutch for them in the last few games. And of course, CD Lamb as well. Zeke doesn't look like he has the same juice. But Tony Pollard has had a good season um, behind him. And even Corey Clement was randomly on a rampage against the Eagles. Um, But, I mean, you got to talk about that defense. Diggs, Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence. They have playmakers across the board. And they're trained to to take away the ball. Um, And they're going to be facing a 49ers team with Jimmy Garoppolo, a quarterback. (laughs) Uh, don't love that. Um, 
though the 49ers did show a lot of heart, they had to win the game against the Rams to make it in, and they did. So you can't really discredit them, especially with that running game. And, of course, a great offensive mind in Shanahan with Debo Samuel, that hybrid threat for them as well. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a tough one. I think the Cowboys might just edge it, especially coming off that drubbing of the Eagles. <laughs> uh, but the 49ers also coming off of that, you know, emotional win over the over the division rival Rams. I think this could potentially be one of the more exciting and close games on the schedule. Far be it from me to expect the Cowboys to succeed in the playoffs. But this team just looks more like prepared uh, in my mind. I I fully expect the Cowboys to win this game. I think I'm just primarily focused on Parsons in the sense of like what an amazing rookie year he has had. Um, he is like he just presents so much pressure for opposing offenses, and that helps like lead into Diggs and all of his interceptions. Like you said, they're built to take the ball away, which works. Like, which helps them a lot against this 49ers team. I don't expect the Cowboys to go far in the playoffs this year. I expect whatever team wins this game, I expect to, them to immediately lose in the next round. But for my money, it'd be the Cowboys winning this game. Yeah, I'll take the Cowboys as well. Jimmy G with that thumb injury. I don't love it. And Trey Lance is not ready. I don't think to take the reins and um, you know, if Jimmy G is really struggling, I don't, I don't see Trey, Trey Lance coming in and leading the 49ers to a victory. So the Cowboys probably win this first game, but I would agree. They're probably not going to win the next game with whoever, whatever team that they face. Just to recap our predictions then for the first round, we both have the Chiefs beating the Steelers. I have the, Patriots, you have the Bills. I have the Raiders, you have the Bengals. We both have the Bucks. We both have the Cowboys, and we both have the Rams. So the AFC were a lot more torn about NFC. We think that the top seeds are just are gonna wipe the floor with the <laughs> the, the lower seeds. Hey, you never know. Um, but what the one really interesting thing about the NFL playoffs. Anything can happen. It's just one game. And that's what makes it really exciting. So definitely looking forward to watching those games this weekend. That's going to wrap up our preview of this first round of playoff action in the NFL. When we come back, we're going to do the hot seat and the fun fact. All right. So today we're going to do the hot seat a little bit differently. Where we're going to talk out some some NFL head coaching firings, and we're going to decide should these teams be on the hot seat for firing their coaches. Now, Dave, earlier I told you I was going to ask your opinion on Mike Zimmer. We didn't forget about that. The time has come. Mike Zimmer was the Vikings coach for eight years, in which time his, he has a record of 74-59-1. Do you think that the Vikings were right to fire him? Yes. And the reason for that is because the Vikings, talent-wise, 
should be making the playoffs. You know, quarterback, I think Kirk Cousins is a playoff caliber quarterback. Maybe not the reason that why they would win, but I mean, they have maybe not maybe Thielen isn't a top ten receiver anymore, but a, you know, they have a top five receiver in Jefferson, top 15, 20 receiver in Thielen, top five running back in Dalvin Cook. I mean, an offensive line that played better than we expected, I think, this year. And defensively, they they definitely struggled, especially at corner. But they have several pieces. I mean, Kendricks and Barr at the linebacker positions. Daniil Hunter at pass rusher. Harrison Smith still at safety for them. I mean, and they had Pat Pete, of course, who had a decent season too. So they should have done more with what they had. And Mike Zimmer's calling card is defense. Let me read you some stats about their defense this year. Minnesota ranked 31st in yards per game, 26th in yards per play, 27th in rushing yards allowed, 26th in passing yards allowed, and 25th in points allowed. And Zimmer is supposed to be this defensive guy. It just wasn't working. You know, overall, he had a winning record, but I think it was it was just time like they have good enough players to make the playoffs and the fact that they couldn't pull off a lot of these one score games he deserves to get fired and the GM getting fired as well I don't know if they you know I I don't necessarily know that that was a terrible move um but Zimmer specifically deserved to get sacked for sure yeah so the Vikings finished 8 and 9 this season and last year I thought he might actually get fired after they went 7 and 9 last year I mean, I mean, what you're talking about is if you have a certain amount of weapons, a certain amount of skill on the team, that means the team's expectations go up. And then when you fail to meet those raised expectations, the team begins to wonder, well, could we do better with a coach that could make better use of all of these assets? They gave him this year to prove that, like, you know, can you do better than this 7-9? and nine? Was the 7-9 and nine a fluke? It wasn't. Uh, he showed why he can't do more with those assets. Like he showed all he needed to show for the Vikings to know that he doesn't need to be the coach anymore. And I feel like, you know, after these past two years, I can't argue with this at all. He was definitely, he definitely deserves to be let go. Do I think that he shouldn't coach in the NFL again? No, I think he'll get another chance. I think his career record warrants that even if the last two years don't make him look that good. Um, but he'll be the kind of coach that you hire if you don't have immediate aspirations. <laughs> Maybe he makes like a Dan Quinn type move and go and like goes down, like takes a step down and goes as a uh, goes somewhere as a coordinator. I mean that worked for Dan Quinn. He showed he shouldn't be head coaching. Went to Dallas and he's doing fine as a DC again. Which <clears throat> we aren't really going to talk about the Jaguars because Urban Meyer is already gone and they're probably you know they have an interim coach right now, but who knows what will happen with that? But Apparently they were interested in talking to Dan Quinn to be their head coach. And Dan Quinn was just like, nah, I'm good. (laughs) Which I don't know if that's that's just good self-awareness. I don't know if that's good self-awareness from Dan Quinn just being like, maybe head coaching wasn't for me and I'm doing really well where I'm at right now. Or maybe it was just avoiding the plague that is the Jacksonville Jaguars franchise. Who says it can be both? I mean, maybe it is both. Maybe it's just like, no, and also no. <laughs> He's like, I know I'm not about to go to the Jacksonville and make things better. Yeah, that's just, it's just broken there. It is what it is. So moving on, 
to the Denver Broncos uh, and Vic Vangio, who got fired as well. The Broncos went 7-10. and 10. They were in the playoff hunt until, you know, really late in the season. But, you know, Vic Fangio, over the course of his Broncos career, which only lasted for three three seasons, he was 19-30. and 30, And the Broncos, especially, you know, kind of harkening back to the Peyton Manning days and winning that Super Bowl, the Broncos, I think, have a lot of expectations from their fan base and from ownership. And they thought Vic Fangio was the guy. Not really sure why. And uh, <laughs> he just couldn't cut it. He was 19-30 and 30 in his uh, career with the Broncos. And, you know, I think the Broncos are going to be an attractive team to a, a different coach. Um, they have a lot of pieces there, both on offense and defense. Quarterback is the main question mark. And, um, you know, whoever comes into coach, that's going to be a, a big question is who's going to play quarterback. And if they manage to get one of these high profile trade targets, or maybe they, they have a guy in the draft that they really like, I could definitely see the Broncos making it to the playoffs next season with a new coach. But Vic Fangio just wasn't getting it done. A big reason I'm on board with the Broncos moving on from Fangio is that quarterback uncertainty. I expect them to draft a quarterback, and if they do, I'm sure, like many other teams, they'll want to get their new coach, his guy. Um, a lot of teams seem to like you know pairing up. You know, we're pulling in a new coach and a new quarterback at the same time. Um, you know, if if the previous quarterback or if the previous coach wasn't doing well. It's different if you have an established good coach. Vic Fangio is not that. No one's ever accused him of that in Denver. Three seasons, didn't have a single season, or he had a losing record all three seasons. He technically improved. He only won five games last year, and he won seven this year. Ooh, still a losing record. Still in last yeah, place um, in the division. Yeah. <laughs> to, Which, to be fair, that's a, that's a tough division. <laughs> It is, but that just means you have but, to have a coach who can handle it. Yeah, and Fangio wasn't that. May as well clean house, get ready for the future. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with this firing for sure. And less than Zimmer, like I, if I were a team looking for a new coach, there are plenty of faces I'd look at before Fangio. For sure. Then moving on to the Chicago Bears. <laughs> Okay, this one, this one's easy. <laughs> when we did our preseason tier list, I said that Matt Nagy shouldn't be the coach. When we did our midseason tier list, I said Matt Nagy shouldn't be the coach. And at the end of the season, Matt Nagy shouldn't be the coach. Like this, that one's not rocket science. He was trash. He shouldn't have been the coach to like. Good riddance. Easy. Should have done that last year. Moving on. So, <laughs> Nagy is an interesting case because somehow. It was only three years ago that he won Coach of the Year. How far they fall in such a short amount of time. They were 12-4 and four in his first season in Chicago. Reached the playoffs for the first time in eight years. They went 8-8 eight and eight in 2019 and 2020. Qualified for the playoffs last year as a wildcard team. But Nagy was 0-2 in the playoffs. And his play calling was... 
uh, was questioned and it just kind of seemed like he just kind of lo- lost that locker room. The fact that they won six games is a little bit surprising, to be honest. And the Bears will be another attractive destination uh, for for prospective head coaches this like going into this summer. I think someone will be excited to get that job. But yeah, they definitely needed to change up. They, Nagy did not need to be there. The, the two were just not good for each other. And the fans were not... like. Not only did he lose the locker room, he lost the fans too. No. I don't think anyone really wanted Nagy there. It is baffling to me that he won coach of the year. Like, I mean, I get it when you say like the 12 and four and everything. Like if you look back to that year, sure. But like when you say it now, it's just like, what? Remember, Jason Garrett won coach of the year. If Jason Garrett can win coach of the year, anyone can. <laughs> so someone who who really needed to go, who probably didn't deserve to be a head coach in the NFL in the first place, if I'm being honest. Joe Judge and the New York Giants. The Giants were an absolute embarrassment this year. And I Joe Judge just seemed a little out of his league, if I'm being completely honest. He only was there for two seasons. Both of them were pretty bad. This year was even worse than the year before. He went 10-23 and 23 in his two years. And... You know, maybe it's not Joe Judge, maybe it's the Giants, because he's the third consecutive coach to be fired in two years or less by the Giants. In Joe Judge's second year as coach, they went from a six and ten win, a six and ten team, to a four and thirteen team. Uh, the only team that scored fewer points than them this season was the Jags. Meanwhile, their defense was in the bottom ten in the NFL and points allowed. So you're letting other teams score a lot of points and then you're not scoring many. That's a literal recipe for losing. If you do that, you will lose almost every time. So the giants need so many changes. I don't know who is going to be the hero for this franchise. That is just like Eli Manning (laughs) led them to, Ever since the last time Eli Manning led them to a Super Bowl, it's just been like declining and declining, and now it's just like pathetic. Like, yeah, Joe Judge wasn't the guy, but maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not the the head coaches, maybe it's the franchise. Who knows who they're going to get in to replace them? They should know that they're already probably on the hot seat as soon as they sign the contract. So... Speaking of the hot seat, which I think we can, I think we've determined that all these coaches that have been fired were, we, we, we do agree with their firing and that they did deserve to be on the hot seat. Well, let's flip the, flip the tables a little bit here and put the team on the hot seat and the ownership instead of the coach. Brian Flores who on this podcast, we have been on record as saying he is one of the better head co- head coaches in the NFL, especially younger, rising stars at that head coaching position, was inexplicably fired by the team after, yes, they missed the playoffs. But it seemed like a knee-jerk reaction after Flores managed to pull them out of a, what was it, or were they like one in seven? They win seven games in a row 
and like sure they couldn't close close it out and make the playoffs but i think he showed plenty of you know plenty of reasons to keep him around and i mean overall his record was 24 and 25 like sure that's a little bit below 500 but that's not anything bad i mean last year they went 10 and 6 this year they went 9 and 8 and you're telling me that that wasn't good enough with a roster that is i would say they're on the verge of being playoff caliber but sizable holes at in multiple areas both on offense and defense this guy's not a miracle worker and and let's call it what it is it's not like tua has been amazing so far it's not like anyone's looking at him like oh how are you not like a 12 or 13 win team with tua right now um like you said not a miracle worker uh back-to-back winning seasons for a dolphins team that prior to him had been a laughing stock like of course he had a losing record his first year most new coaches do uh unless they get blessed to go to like you know some magical team like like uh when um when Matt LaFleur went to like Green Bay like he's not going to stumble there and and have a losing season but typically speaking you get a new head coaching job it's because the team has been struggling often that's a losing record right away and then his second year in freaking Miami 10 and 6 unbelievable that they fired him this is The Lions, when they fired Jim Caldwell, he had had, I think, back-to-back winning seasons. And then they fired him and have had embarrassingly bad losing seasons ever since. It's just been pathetic. And it, it's been like, well, we fired this coach because we think that someone else can take us to the next level. And then in retrospect, you realize, oh, he was the answer, actually. He was the reason we were doing well, and we probably should have... St- we probably should have stuck with him. We'd probably be finding more success eventually. I think the Dolphins just made a huge mistake, and I expect them to be trash next year. Uh, like, I'm sorry, their roster, like you said, looks good. But with a new head coach, uh, I don't think – because I don't think firing Brian Flores was a move. I think with a new head coach next year, they're going to be like a five-win team. I mean, you've got a young quarterback in Tua. Now he has to deal with the new head coach. You've got um, players on that roster who, like, you know, I said the roster isn't bad, but like I said, they, they're they maybe on the verge. They kind of remind me of the Vikings a little bit, and, like, they have playmakers and they have talent, but I think they need, you know, a little bit more, and Brian Flores is building something there in Miami, and now you're just going to, you know, try to hire somebody else to, you know, take on what he was building. If I was the players, I would be livid right now. Um, From what I've read, it seems like the players did really like him and that he was a popular guy there. I just feel like Brian Flores got really hard done by with this. And, you know, maybe he goes to like the Broncos who, like we were saying, you know, the, they could be contenders really quick. Maybe he goes to the Vikings. And I just really hope, and I, I expect him to get another head coaching position somewhere else in the NFL. And not only that, but succeed there and show Miami that they made a big mistake. If I were 
like if my team needed a new coach, I would be like begging for Flores. Like this is the guy that I'd want. And I'm a, like I'll ask you like since you like the Vikings, wouldn't you like to get Flores for the Vikings? Wouldn't that be like the ideal guy for that job? He's the top candidate right now. He has to be. Like who else are you going to try to if if this man's available, who are who are you putting above him on the market? He's shown for the past 2 years he can do it with a less than ideal roster. If you have a good roster, like if I'm the Vikings, I'm thinking, okay, we are literally like a better team than the, than the Dolphins on paper, and he's a much better coach than what we just had. Let's bring him, bring him in. Suddenly, like this looks like a a good playoff team. Dolphins definitely on the hot seat for that one. We did have one, I guess, honorable mention. Uh, for the hot seat as well that we're not going to debate we're just going to say that is what it is and that is of course whoever built fedex field because <laughs> my goodness was that an embarrassing scene and doesn't that kind of sum up the washington franchise over the last however long yeah, if, in case you didn't see what happened, Jalen Hurts was leaving the field after beating the Washington, and all these fans were leaning over the railing trying to, you know, get Hurts' attention, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, as Jalen Hurts gets within, like, five feet of them, they all just, like, crash to the ground because the... I don't know exactly what to call it, like the facade or whatever you want to call it like the little wall just gives out and they all like fall to the ground like not from like a like from a from a height you know they all seem to be okay but it was just kind of crazy like you just shouldn't see that in an NFL stadium yeah we'll um we'll share that video so you can watch it easily enough on on Facebook but yeah, this is an NFL state. This isn't like a high school. Like someone surely got paid a lot of money to design and build this like this arena and and the railings and everything that go with it. And I mean it's I get that it's the Washington football team, so like they're probably not planning on fans getting excited about anything. But like you got to be able to come on, man. Like that's pathetic. Just Absolutely pathetic display. I mean, props to Jalen Hurts. Uh, he was like immediately like checking to make sure all the fans were okay and everything. And then he like wrote this letter to um to the Washington football team where he was talking about like, hey, I want to know what's being done so that this doesn't happen again, so that we can like prioritize fan safety and everything. Big stand up move. Like I said earlier, big fan of Jalen Hurts. Um, but yeah, this is like. I don't know. Washington to me has just been so forgettable this season. And then this happens and it's like you're in the news and it's not even for your like for your football team. It's because you can't even handle like seating. Again, if you're Washington, you're probably not anticipating a need for much seating, but honestly, like this should be like pretty simple, right? You build the thing, you nail it in. You, or you screws or something. I don't know. I don't, 
I'm not an architect, but you don't say you screw the screw in the hole. You take a drill or something and you an electric screwdriver. I don't know. You screw it in. You, you like put your hand on it. You wiggle it a couple times to make sure there's not any give. And then you like you move on. Right. That isn't that how this works. Something like that. This is a very dumbed down like there, engineering there you go. lesson from me. New segment: <laughs> Engineering with Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Mike the Builder. Uh, it will be interesting to see what the Washington Football Team's new name is going to be. They're going to announce that I think before next season, so they won't just be the football. Actually, they could still be the football team. That was one of the remaining options, but I actually oh, yeah. kind of want that to happen just because it's just kind of funny it amuses me but i'm sure they'll do something that's like kind of cringeworthy but i wouldn't expect anything else but something lame from from washington but with that being said we are going to move into something that isn't lame i hope whoa and that's whoa bro (laughs) and that's dave's fun fact of the episode okay well no pressure now. <laughs> My goodness. Um, okay, so I, I've i promised to keep these short. And because I know this is, has been a long episode, I will keep it short. If you've ever seen the movie Up, then you know the premise is the, um, you know, this old man who sells balloons at this zoo or whatever, um, ties a bunch of them to his house, and it ends up flying away. Um to this you know magical land in south america and all this stuff so that got me thinking how like realistic would that be because you know not it happened in a disney movie so it must be real um sure yeah yeah sure so i didn't figure out how much it would take to lift a house but I did figure out how many balloons it would take to lift a person. So now this is based in like European, like the metric system or whatever. So we're talking about liters and stuff here. Okay. Bust out your calculators, folks. (laughs) Bust out the uh, converters on Google for kilograms to whatever. Um, So a liter of helium should lift 1.11 grams. So 1,000 liters lifts a little over a kilogram. And a 70 kilogram human, which I'm assuming is like 150 pounds or like whatever the average is, needs around 70,000 liters of helium, which would be roughly 10,000 normal balloons that you could get at the store or whatever. You need you would need to tie ten thousand balloons somehow to a person to lift them off the ground. Pretty unrealistic, which I guess is kind of what I was expecting. But still, you know, <laughs> I'm sure somebody will somebody will try that. So ten thousand balloons for a seventy kilogram person, which is about one hundred and fifty four pounds. Aha. Um, <laughs> Dave, I'm converting <laughs> over here. I was just, I was an educated guest. So a house is, would be millions and millions and freaking millions, billions of balloons. 
I'm far too lazy to do that math right now. It was a small house. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay, so just millions then. Oh, sorry, really. just millions and millions and millions and millions. Heck, to do a car would still probably be like... Hundred, hundred million. A lot. I don't know. Someone do math and, and contact. <laughs> I don't even. I don't care, right? <laughs> yeah, I I don't even know. But point is, you can't always believe everything you see in Disney movies. That's the takeaway here. What? <laughs> what do you What do you mean? <laughs> Dang man, I'm breaking my heart. All I know is it can only go up from here. And on that note. I feel like I feel Let's like wrap that up joke this doesn't match what it said. <laughs> I feel like it's time to end the episode, <laughs> so I'm going to, and I'm going to ask that <laughs> if you did enjoy listening to this podcast, you know what? If you're a Georgia fan and you are excited about the fact that you won the national championship, then celebrate. By leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever. And uh, we would appreciate that. And, of course, you can follow us on social media at Mike and Dave Pod. Uh, I think Mike's going to be putting out a few polls there about whether or not you think the head coaches deserve to be fired slash on the hot seat or not. We're excited to watch these NFL playoff games this weekend. Uh, I'm sure you are as well. And if your team is still in it, unlike ours because we cheer for the Falcons and we hate ourselves, <laughs> then good luck and hope that your team moves on. And yeah, we appreciate y'all listening. Yeah. If your team is in the playoffs, congratulations. You have the playoffs to look forward to. If you're, if you're not uh, so fortunate and you're like us, then you have the NFL draft to look forward to, which speaking of things to look forward to, you already know, that we will be putting out an episode covering the NFL draft. At least one, one of episode. our earliest, at least one episode. One of our earliest episodes was about the NFL was about the 2021 NFL draft. So we'll be coming full circle with that in due time. All reasons to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, make sure you're following on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, whichever uh, you use to listen to this. Or SoundCloud, for that matter. Yeah, I'll we'll be posting polls for each of those hot seat candidates or each of those head coach firings, and you can let us know which ones deserve to be fired, which ones didn't. We'll also share that video from FedEx Field, so you can also see the ineptitude of whoever designed that, like railing or whatever. We're architects here, in case you weren't aware. <laughs> oh yeah, you know that's what our real jobs are. Wanna- just one of our many traits uh-huh. mathematicians architects so that wraps up episode 19 of the mike and dave podcast which means in two weeks we'll be bringing out the big one episode 20 or the next big one i guess they're all big so ones. stick around for that <laughs> they're all big ones no small episodes here so stick around for that until then this has been mike this has been dave and you've been listening to the mike and dave podcast Alexander on the beach.